0: If you've missed any episodes of Rush Limbaugh: The Man Behind the Golden EIB Microphone, you've missed more great stories from some of Rush's closest friends, family, and colleagues. All previous episodes are available now on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to your podcast.
1: Whether you listened every day. You are at the EIB Network and the Rush Limbaugh program heard on over 600 great radio stations. Or every now and then. Nation's leading radio talk show, the most eagerly anticipated program in America. These are the stories you've never heard from the people behind the scenes who knew him best and loved him most. Rush Limbaugh having more fun than a human being it should be allowed to have. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone. Hosted by James Golden.
0: The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been supporting America's heroes since 9-11. On America's darkest day, so many people gave their lives for us. The foundation carries forward a legacy of courage and heroism by honoring first responder and military heroes. Great Americans who protect our communities and our freedom. And they're willing to die for you and me. When these heroes are killed in the line of duty and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays off their mortgage to lift the financial burden and bring these families much needed stability. For catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage free smart homes. It gives them back their independence. America's heroes and their families need your help. Join. Tunnel to Towers on their mission to do good in their honor. Donate $11 a month by going to T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. You are the most generous audience there is, and we thank you for your support. On this edition of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB mic, we have a treat today. And... Without further introduction, Mary Matlin and husband James Carvel, welcome both of you to this podcast series. <laughs> well, you no, know, you. we
2: don't do this together.
0: I have to start by asking Mary and James separately. When did you meet Rush?
3: Uh, Mary, you want to go first? I think you, I, mean, I know you met him before I did. No, go ahead, honey. I, I met him. We we visited him in. He used to have an apartment uh, like right on Fifth Avenue. In New York, and the first time I met him was at his condo apartment or whatever, whatever you call it. It was like Upper East Side.
0: Yeah, his Upper East Side digs. Right. And Mary, you?
2: Was that the time, honey, we went with Russert and his wife with Tim? Remember that? We had dinner at that. Well, that was a, No, that was at Central. When he lived in Central Park, we went and had dinner with Russert. But Rush and James ironically hit it off, and I knew Rush before he was Rush. We kind of, I think my dad turned me on to him in the 80s, late 80s, and then we've you know, been constant companions since then, as James will tell you, since I never turn him off.
0: Now, I miss seeing both of you. Remember those Tim Russert Christmas shows? And we sure do miss seeing those of us who, I mean, we love seeing your family on Meet the Press with Tim Russert. And I got to tell you, Meet the Press, of course, that was back in the golden age of Meet the Press.
2: James, let me, James, elaborate on Meet the Press, because I think this is a turning point in a lot of things when Tim Russert passed. But an interesting, sad, bittersweet, but tribute to Tim Russert in our relationship is um, James, tell him. First of all, I think James, you said we were on there more than anybody else. Like, t- let's elaborate on Tim. I don't,
3: no, Yeah, I don't. I was on. I was on the on about more than any. I think Bob Dole holds the all time record for me to Press, but <laughs> I, I could be wrong. It's probably changed since then. Um, well, he and I were just we were like best friends. I mean, we've had our baseball tickets together. We had our, you know, professional basketball the Wizards tickets together. Uh his son and I did a talk, sports talk radio show for some time. And uh you're right, when he died in June, the first night we were in New Orleans and, and part of Washington journalism, I think, died with temp. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was just it, it was one of those kind of simple events. And uh you know, it was it's to this day it's it's difficult and it was uh what, twelve years ago, thirteen years ago kind of hard to believe it was the first he died the first night that we were going to spend in our house in new orleans so it, it was but it was almost to the date uh, if you look it up maybe it was june the 8th or 9th of the day he died but we're probably on top of it. i guess it'd be unfortunately 13th year anniversary Damn. all
0: right i don't want to talk politics because that is kind of not not why we're here i do want to talk about rush though mm-hmm. now james you know rush had a nickname for you
3: well <laughs> what was it i'd so much just tell me but what remind me again it was serpent head. Oh, serpent head! Yeah, yeah okay. I got. think Mary called me that. Bush, it matter. <laughs> I, any any nickname is good.
2: Okay. Well, you know where that came from? Where did Honey, it come you know from? This.
3: Um, was it Jeb Bush?
2: Well, it was Jeb or Ailes. No, 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 Jeb. It was Jeb Bush because I was so smitten with James, and I was on this rocket of a career trajectory, and I fell in love with him, and it was in the middle of that campaign that I was running. And he was running Clinton's. And so everybody was like, who is this guy? Nobody knew him. And when Jeb saw him on TV, he goes, that's it? That's the guy? And Roger L said this verse, he looks like a fish you swam too close to a nuclear reactor. And Jeb goes, yeah, he's like a serpent head. I love
0: you, serpent head. <laughs> <laughs> well, that quickly. Be- Those were the same. Yeah, that quickly became that quickly became your nickname on the Rush Limbaugh show, right? And James, as you may know, I don't know whether you know this or not.
3: Rush, we had a lot of bits. Yeah, people would tell me about it. Now you know, and, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've I never, you know, as part of being a public person. But and you're right, Mary's right. Every time I get in her car that she had previously driven, it would be on Rush Radio. So I don't, obviously, I'd change it right away to NPR. But <laughs> 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 but I, I I think if I would say something about Rush is when you become famous, and I've noticed this in my own life, people only know you for what you're famous for. All right. So if if you're a baseball player, and you're famous, you have a life outside of baseball. People are just not that interested in it, or marginally interested in it, and they want to talk to you about that. Well, obviously, probably the two people I married was closest to was Rush and Vice President Cheney. And as a result of that, I had to spend a fair amount of time and what both of them were, they were multidimensional people. So whatever, I wasn't going to talk about politics because I sure hell didn't agree with anything they said, and they would say the same thing about me. But we could talk about other things very easily. It wasn't a stilted or forced conversation. They were both multidimensional people. So you, you didn't have, like, uncomfortable small talk. And, and I think that's something that's kind of important because, the, like I say, People When people become famous, they're only known for the thing that they become famous for. But they have families and they have interests and they have, you know, children or they have any number of things that, that they deal with. So I, I, and I always found it, you know, easy to in a social situation uh, with both of these men and, and not feel uncomfortable or, or, or anything like that. Hmm.
2: What did James tell my James tell Russia's James what? Our Rush gave us for a wedding present because that was one of his things that he knew a lot about.
3: Oh, hey, I, I don't know what I said. Let's just say it was a, he gave us a, a, a magnum of 1961 O'Brien. Whoa. Of which, yeah, that's pretty nice. I mean, it, it was, a, and he knew why. I mean, he did, you know, and I would, could talk, you know, vintages with him or anything like that. And I, uh, I think we're going to open it thanksgiving if it's getting a little long in the tooth here and i don't want to sell it because you know when somebody gives you a gift like that then they don't give it to to sell and i still have it out in the Shenandoah valley and it's under controlled temperature so i think i think it'll drink just fine come november
2: oh that's, that's a great po- co- post-covid thanksgiving
3: right yeah, I've, yeah I've, i tell you post-covid i just i spent a week in las vegas you <laughs> you know, you know I,
2: I, that was his reentry, James Golden. Wonderful.
0: Well, I'm glad you I am glad right. that you are post COVID now. Yeah. Can I just um get your reaction to this? Okay, so those of us old enough to remember what the campaign was like between uh Bush uh uh forty one and and Bill Clinton, remember it was a pretty heated campaign there. And then comes this surprise and you two took everybody by surprise when news, I don't know, was it leaked out or did you announce it that you two were indeed in love with each other and you were having a relationship? How did, what was the reaction at that time that both of you encountered?
3: Well, we had a relationship prior to the, the, the campaign. In fact, when I was doing the Harris Wofford race in the fall, of 1991, but very well, i you know, go to that uh, 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, a gorgeous building, you know, with the angel holding the fallen soldier. And uh, it was among people in the Washington insiders, it was pretty well, it was not totally a secret. I mean, we'd go to dinner together and do all kinds of things. And and then once the campaign started, I think the, the public Became sort of more aware of it, and it's kind of funny for all of that. In that campaign, uh, President H. W. Bush and President Clinton became really close. I mean, he was almost like a uncle to President Clinton. And I'd gone to that library, you know, and done events with Barry, you know, a couple, three times, and you know, always gracious and everything. And you know, it 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 was a different era in politics, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, Do
0: you wish that, that some of that era could come back?
3: Yeah, I wish I was, you know, 48 again. You know? <laughs> it, it, nothing stays the same. That's what people got to realize. It, you're in a place now, but, you know, the place we were in is a different place. We were in in 2006, which is a different place than we're going to be in in 2026. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how this this ends, but it, the one thing I know, it, it'll morph into something else. Whether, whether it morphs into something better or worse, an uh, optimistic kind of guy Maybe be something better, but but it's what it is right now.
1: The Democrat Party, remember James Carville? James Carville thing. the Democrat Party has never been, had never been this powerless in my entire life of eating gumbo. That was after Trump was elected. James Carver was out yesterday. Oh, Biden's going to be Biden. He's gaff pro, but he's got a hard to go, hard to go out there. You can't say nothing bad about old Joe. Joe, one of the greatest guys in the Democrat body. Leader that we need. He's the exact kind of leader we need. He's the kind of the leader that the world needs. Joe Biden.
0: Over the course of this series, we've been taking you on the biographical journey of Rush's life, narrated by his friends, family, and colleagues. Today, we welcome Premier Network's nationally syndicated host, George Norrie. There are so many commonalities between Rush Limbaugh and George Norrie. Both experienced broadcasters from the Midwest and both from Missouri. Both broadcasters host radio programs that are heard On over 600 radio stations daily, many of the affiliate stations bearing the same call letters. George Norrie is best known as host of the Coast to Coast AM radio program, all about the unexplainable. Now, the incomparable George Norrie.
1: The Life of Rush Limbaugh, Chapter 9, narrated by George Norrie.
4: The 90s drew new lines in the political battlefield, ultimately leading to a hotly contested 2000 presidential election. But by the time George W. Bush was inaugurated and the dust began to settle, the era of compassionate conservatism seemed poised for smooth sailing. The Clinton presidency was in the rearview mirror. The House had a Republican majority and because conservatives were riding high, Russia's critics predicted without anyone to complain about, his show would soon be on the decline. And then, on a clear Tuesday morning, everything changed.
1: Debris is just falling off the building. I mean, it's. I was looking at the trade towers exactly when it happened. We need to unite. We need to understand. We're all in it together.
4: September 11, 2001, profoundly impacted America, the Bush presidency, and Rush Limbaugh. All different sets of emotions
1: start taking over. Then. In the course of the next few weeks, learned that I knew people who lost people,
4: family members and friends of the World Trade Center. They are still not the same. The tone of politics changed on a dime, and Russia's audience grew dramatically as Americans turned to a familiar, soothing voice to calm the chaos, pick up the pieces, and move America forward. The Bush White House also recognized the reach of his program as both President Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney became regular contributors.
1: Welcome back to the program. The Vice President, Dick Cheney, Mr. Vice President, thank you as always. It's, it's an honor and a delight to have you here with us.
4: Well, Russians, uh, great to talk to you again. After two successful terms and despite expertly guiding America through an unprecedented crisis early in his administration, President Bush left Washington with waning popularity and amidst harsh criticism. In the years that followed, Rush tried to set the record straight. Bush was
1: a solid leader dealing
4: with 9-11. I mean, how in the world do you go
1: from that perception to go to being 30% approval, hated and reviled? You do that by letting the media destroy you and not fighting back and not
4: getting political because you don't want to sully the office or whatever. To the end, Rush Limbaugh had profound respect for his friend, President George W. Bush, and his stewardship of the American presidents. Bush has been rehabilitated in the eyes of the drive-by media. Bush is gracious now. What's
1: missing in this transformation, of course, uh, Bush the evil to Bush the gracious, is the acknowledgement that he has always comported himself this way. Despite the relentless attacks these past eight years, George W. Bush has been a
4: class act. He considered Bush a strong leader who was unfairly defined by his opponents, and for his part, George W. Bush had a mutual respect for Rush. In a statement after his death, Bush praised Rush's belief in God and country as an indomitable spirit with a big heart. Like his father, 41, before him, perhaps the same could be said about number 43.
0: Hey, James Golden here. You know what? It's time that you treat yourself to a little bit of luxury. You know the company. It's My Pillow. But what you may not know is that My Pillow makes more than just the incredible pillows that have captivated America. They make sheets. And these aren't just any sheets. These sheets are smooth. They're soft. They're comfortable. You'll look forward to getting under these sheets every night. I know I do. MyPillow Giza sheets have a luxurious feel you're going to love. Get yourself the luxury. Get a set of these sheets. They come with a 60-day comfort guarantee. Pillows, sheets, don't forget the incredible slippers from MyPillow. They're available from MyPillow. They have a level of comfort you need to experience. Log on to MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials and use promo code ICON. Lots of incredible offers there now. That's MyPillow.com, promo code ICON. Let me just say this to you and I'll get your reaction to it. I don't know whether you two realize it or not, but for a lot of people um, that, that are really political people, I believe that you two are an inspiration because in a way you symbolize something. You symbolize that two people who are on opposite ends of the political spectrum can still have a very loving relationship with each other. You guys have been married for a while. You have kids now that are grown. And I can still hear the love between both of you. And this is has uh, apparently always been a real thing with you since you guys decided you were in love with each other. Right. And so do you share the belief that th- this is somehow, that this is in, in a way you two are larger than yourselves?
3: Well, I, I, now, you know, you, I want you to have a long conversation with Mary. I just, I'll go back to the original thing is if you famously, you're known for something, of course, this is the way that we earn to live living. There was a, guy, I, th- I think it was Walter Shapiro, wrote a review of, of our book. And his point was, it's not surprising that something like this happened in Washington, but would really be surprising if Mary married a tree surgeon in Idaho. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: I mean, if you put,
2: I often thought that would have been preferable. You know, if you
3: put, yeah, when you put, you know, boys and girls in the same kind of profession, You know, and and there are other examples of of people like us. I mean, I guess, you know, pass the baton to Kellyanne and George, which I'm happy to do. But like Anna Bennett and John Buckley, they were good friends of ours. They were, you know, definitely. uh, John Buckley was one of the famous Buckleys of Connecticut. And Anna Bennett's a Fort Worth, uh, and she's a a very accomplished poster. Uh, I worked with her in 1988 in New Jersey. So, So, I mean, they're instances of it because it's just the way that nature is when you start mixing compounds some of them are going to stick and uh and i think that what's helped us is we we maintain interest in things outside of politics got you i think that's it i think that's you know we both have a we describe as a healthy interest in politics i don't i don't deny that but we have know all kinds of stuff
2: but we also enjoy uh, we enjoy so many other things football family food friends history
3: okay
0: now let's take the politics if we can aside out of the question all right what do you think rush limbaugh's legacy is going to be james
3: well i mean it saved an entire medium of communications i mean it, it saved am radio and the, the the way that you know a person's legacy is how many knockoffs did he create? You know, let Mary go through the list of names uh, of people. You know, I I I, I want to only limit my remarks to positive remarks and w- would note that i not, <laughs> not the appropriate time to make, but, but, okay. but, 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 his, his no, legacy, I honesty. In, well, in a, in a nation that is really divided into people, I think divisiveness is a problem, it's kind of, kind of hard to say What a divisive guy, but having said that, what I'd like to focus on, cause you know, he, he created a lot of knockoffs and none of them ever became him. And that's, that's when you, you know you've done something, when you got successful people imitating you. And I, I know in my own life, I mean, I don't talk radio, but I always take such pride in people in the campaigns that work for me that have gone on to do a lot of great things. Uh, so that, that, that's what you got to feel good. I mean, I, I'm sure that, that Rush, you know, I don't have any doubt that he believed him things that he said and I'm sure he had to take a certain amount of pride that so many people imitated him
0: mm-hmm.
3: and and that I think is is I don't think anybody has had that kind of you know influence in right-wing media at all and I mean I was listening to him and I was working in Kentucky in like 1987 wow I, I mean it's like that's that that uh, and, and you know to do, I'm sorry, but I couldn't do three hours of programming five days a week for anything in the world. And you know he was, I mean, it, he he was not an overly modest man. But be honest, in terms of his professional career, he didn't have a lot to be modest about. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like I, I say, I, I, you know, and I loved coming on here with Barry, and I know how much she loved Rush and loves you, and. Uh, I was glad that y'all asked me to participate for a few minutes in this.
0: I'm happy that you did. I'm so happy that you did, James. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. And we do appreciate you your bet. time. Thank you,
2: man. Love you, 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 honey. Love you. Bye.
0: Now, Mary, I
2: told you, he has the oh. attention. I mean, actually we can't talk together. This is how we, why we were halfway decent on Tim, because he, we just talk over each other. But can I just pick up on one point that, that, that James made that's so important and it relates. It ties a little bow around everything you've been saying yes. about this period and all. There's things that people didn't know about Rush. I mean, of course he was more talented. He was talent on loan from God and you too, James. Thank you. The other James were we you saying, right? confusing on James, but he picking up on that point that James made in real life, Rush was an overly modest, humble, he, had, he, he knew what the data was, but he, I think to the very end, he was moved, struck, shocked, awed by his own reach. He also was a gentleman. He was courteous. He was gentle. He was patient. He taught me how to use an iPhone. when In the flip phone days, he knew something about, he was a polymath, a self-taught polymath. He knew why. He knew architecture. He knew aviation, economics, spycraft. The guy was a real renaissance man and that's why that that's how I think of Rush. And the other thing that James used to say, James listened to him a lot when we were in the car together. He does he could do more better than anybody I've ever seen, including James, but this is one of James's talents. Make the complex understandable. understandable. And it's just there's just now You know, everybody I don't I don't want to make comparisons, but I don't know anybody else that had as deep a philosophical and and literal understanding of so many topics. And he had first principles and he was steeped in history. And you know what else he knew that I don't know anybody else that knows Mm -hmm. is, is he turned me on to this is what real liberalism, real legacy socialism is. Like he understood liberals. If you read a and he he inspired me to do this, read a lot about the Russian Revolution and even preceding that Marx and you know the Enlightenment and all that. He knew the whole thread of history that led to liberalism and he understood how it became a racket and how it be how it transited the globe. And that's why he was always a step ahead of He always knew what the Democrats were going to do before we even knew what was going on. One of the problems I had with Rush early on was I was kind of a hippy-dippy, you know, environmentalist in my old days. And he, when it started to turn into a racket and he connected it to environmental wackos, which I kind of understood, but I couldn't understand the motivation. That was the other thing that he could suss out and explain. The motive, and he never attributed ill motives, he attributed... The reality, he was, a, he was the mayor of Rioville, so he knew what they were gonna do. And he would say these things and people go, oh, rush, oh, rush. And he was always literally, literally, sometimes decades, always years ahead of where the, the culture and the zeitgeist was. He's a, he is literally an all-time 20th century genius.
0: I said, I used to tell him it was uncanny he would make predictions about the way something would roll out. And sometimes I would be one of those voices. Oh, come on, Rush, seriously? Mm-hmm. And within a few months or a year, or sometimes maybe longer, whatever he predicted would start to happen.
2: You know the beauty, the gift you gave him? And you would challenge him, and you would poke holes at him, and you made his, particularly as he was thinking, that was another thing he did that I've never seen anybody do with the aplomb, that he did it. He would think out loud, and he would think in full paragraphs and complete narratives, but you would push him and prod him and pick at him and understand what he was in his head, and he thought everybody knew. You guys were a great team, James, a fabulous team.
0: thank you. Well, I wanted to know, and I always found him interesting, and I wanted to know how he arrived at these conclusions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he gave me the freedom to disagree with him publicly which was just amazing and astounding. And he could sometimes tell by a look, cause I'd look at him a certain way. Why are you looking at me like that? Do you not agree? And that was, if I didn't, okay, I don't, and why? And then he would explain you it. That, he was wonderful that way.
2: That's the, that is the hallmark of a genius is somebody who is always challenging their own perspectives their own ideas and is trying to understand how other people think and how they're perceiving what he is that the person he or she is saying he always had that he liked to be disagreed with didn't y'all just always tee up
1: the liberals first
0: that's right that's right he would demand that if someone disagreed put them up at the top i want to talk to them first
1: These people are not interested in democracy. They're not interested in representative democracy or a republic. We are in a battle for the overall kind of country this is going to be. We're not in a battle over who is going to win every four years. We're not in a battle over who's going to be president, who's going to run the Senate, who's going to run the House. The battle we are in is virtually and literally about... Will this remain the United States of America as founded? That is what is being waged here. Now,
0: Mary, you, um, uh, the people that have been with us, the lifers, the people that were with us for the full ride, remember full well that in our very first compliment of guest hosts, we had a guest host rotation. Dr. Walter Williams.
2: Love him.
0: Me too. Tony Snow.
2: Oh, yeah, I miss
0: him too. And Mary Matlin.
2: You're too kind, James. I was. No,
0: I'm uh... not. You were. You were in our rotation. You guest hosted the show many times. What was it like when you sat down? We used to do the show out of Washington D.C. a lot at the ABC uh, studios, uh, the, their their headquarters in Washington D.C. They allowed us to come in and use their studios, and they were always, by the way, very nice with us, very gracious. Um, and you used to come in in those days, and I uh, used to fly down, and we used to do the show from from those studios. What was it like for you, guest hosting the Rush Limbaugh show?
2: Oh, nobody, and that is it. You're you're only like a guest in the orbit of Rush. But I think I was pretty good when I forgot about those days in Washington, because then I did have a daily radio show, which when I cut my contract, said no way I want to be on in any position except after Rush Limbaugh. I don't want to be on then. But I, the, thing, the thing that re, that I remember most is how bad I sucked when I came up to New York and I was frazzled and frenzied and I was sitting in his actual chair behind the EIB. My, and I just could not get my shit together and you were so kind, and you just, the only highlight of when I did that, and I was so terrible, it was like a week, was uh, my dad came on and devoted to my dad and the way Rush was devoted to his dad. And it just, it that's what I remember, is your kindness and my dad coming on, and that I was so inept in the world of Rush Limbo. And it really makes you understand the skill set that he had, in addition to being brainy. Like, radio is the, is the most pleasing medium. If you're a chatter and it's what's the most difficult. And I do remember always missing the heart out, always missing the clock, always talking over people. So he Thank you for having me on. But I remember you kindly said, "Well, you're in the rotation." I said, "Well, then you're going to have a you're going to have a big loss of listeners." Get me <laughs> out. We're not
0: <laughs> Now, folks, if you didn't hear it, don't believe her. She was Mary was great cuz I'll tell you one thing Mary always did, which was come prepared. And Mary knew and knows subject matter of politics like nobody else. I mean, this is your this is I mean, I hear you saying that you and James, you know, you don't talk about politics. And maybe with the rest of the family, you don't. But you are a political person, and you you understand politics. You know it from the inside and the outside. All of the stuff that's, quote, unquote, in the weeds, you understand that stuff, and you can talk about that stuff. But you can also talk about big picture politics and, and all of that. And so that's what you brought to the table, and I'm, and that's what I know you still bring to the table, Mary
2: except I've banned myself because I just this this environment is it's so ugly and uncivil and I don't want to be cliche about it but the speaking of the weeds you mentioned earlier that brush uh, and I we were so on the same wavelength and we went through so many campaigns together that if I if and he knew a lot about politics as he knew a lot about everything but he wouldn't have these like Blind spot. So I would email him, and in real time, he, I don't know how you guys did this. In real time, he'd sort through, he'd find out of his thousand emails a minute, he'd find the one, and he'd, it'd be just. I just sent him in a headline in the in the title or a quick sentence uh, where he was off, or another fact to add, or some poll data or something I had that he didn't know, and he seamlessly incorporated into his subsequent remarks, and it just was. I felt like we had such a such a team thing going on. And then the, the last year, I, I, I've I never seen such courage and bravery. I, I happen to have had health issues with, contemporaneously with his. And some of my friends were going, two of my friends were going through the same thing. And I don't know how he got up and went to the studio as often as he did. And he put off his chemo. I mean, if people don't, it it, I, it it's just so unusual in this sort of I don't want to say snowflakey, but this in in this self uh immediate gratification and uh un uncourageous and easiest way out zeitgeist that we find ourselves in. Rush showed the courage of of George Washington. I mean I can I can't even I don't even know how he did that, Bo, you were there. I mean it just yeah. it's just stunning to me. And he made a huge difference and he, it, it, it I really felt like he was going to bring it over the line, just like he did in 1994, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Yep.
0: Explain the 1994 remark to people, by the way,
2: he in nine, the Republicans had been, but well, we had been friends for some time here uh, at that point. I literally like a month after I got married I flew out to California for a book party. I think he quit doing book parties, but this might've been one of his very first books. And his mother was there, Millie was there, his beloved Millie, I loved her. And he, so all the time that I knew him preceding this, Republicans were wandering around in the desert for, and they had been in the minority for over half a century. And he became an honorary member of the 94th Congress because he, they couldn't get there in their You can see this problem today. Republicans have a hard time speaking with one voice because they're speaking into immediacy. Rush went above that and laid out the first principles and how the policies of this, uh, the, the Newt Gingrich revolution at that time was really Russia's revolution. How it, how the first principles, how these policies were predicated on these first principles and everybody was shocked. we won that no one saw this coming except for rush. The Republicans won the majority. They won we won the New York uh, governors, the Ju, Rudy Giuliani. It was a complete sweep and I I credit, and many do too. And anybody who knows anything about politics and how a message is delivered and penetrates would attribute the victory and the finest victory in the last century for Republicans to Rush Limbaugh's 1994, and I can't call it anything else but a campaign. His other completely transformational act was um, Operation Chaos. Yes. (laughs) He had so much influence on politics, way more than anybody who's in politics. I shouldn't say that. That's a little hyperbole. But he had as much influence uh, as everyday operatives have on politics. But in the big picture, in the historical picture... There, he had more influence than anybody else. That is fair to say. And towards the his his, let's say in the '60s when he and Catherine started doing the history book, he had identified the problem way ahead of the curve that we weren't learning history right. So he's covered so many generations uh, with with this unique talent of his, and it it just I, I'm. I can't even keep a train of thought. When I think of him, my whole brain just smiles. It just lights up. I just, it's, everything about him was such a special thing. He also was in real life. This is a really main point about living happily in all eras. That man had a sense of
0: humor. Yes, he did.
2: He, he was funny in a sophisticated way and he just was he was always so much fun to be around i, I just i just miss him so much james
0: i miss him too and some days I'm, i mean all of us on the we're i think you know i still have dreams I, I i miss him i was talking with dawn the other day and dawn was saying you know she still expects to wake up and just one day all of us to be back in the studio together. And it's just still really, um, it's still mind-numbing that 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 was when did you find out he was sick?
2: Well, I guess I literally found out or when everybody else did. But I knew I just know. I mean, I just I just I don't this sounds weird, but we were telepathically connected and I knew something was freighting him before it did. And when he announced it, I just was not, I I remember not being even remotely surprised, just sad. And I thought he was going to beat it. I really thought he was going to beat it. Me too. And I, I, he, I think he, I don't want to say stepped up his game because he never had a bad day, even though he thought he did. That's another thing. How many people do you know, do something as long as they, he did that who come to work, talk about being prepared, who come to their job, Every day, with the level of intensity and depth that he did in those days, that he come back and says, "Look, yesterday, I don't think I did a good job. Well, let me try." I he just who keeps that 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 self criticism and that self improvement and that reaching for the stars uh, as part of their fundamental being, and he kept that on at a whole different level, like a, a transcendent, God given level. In his last year, and I and I could feel when he was having good days and bad days, and it had so screwed up his time, you know, not his time even looking at the clock, you know this, because right. I never saw him miss so many clocks as he did in that last year. He was so in his zone... And I'm sure he was doing it on all kinds of drugs too, because you can't just take chemo. I mean, I still don't. I, to this, I'll never. I've never seen that, and we can expect to never see that again. He's he actually a medical miracle.
0: You know, he. Um, he. That's what I said, and and I was in a, one of the earl, earlier podcasts. I mentioned how, at the end of his show, sometimes he would be so exhausted he couldn't even stand up. He could barely stand up, but he gave everything that he could into each one of those shows. And and this was something else, you know, going into 33 years of being a syndicated host, um, he, before, he, before he realized he was sick, before he realized that something was wrong, Rush was still, and, and even of course afterwards, but he always gave it his best shot. He didn't mail it in, he never mailed it in. He was still excited about being on the radio. This hadn't become just a dull routine to him. This was something that he honestly did believe he was born to do, and he enjoyed it. This is he loved it, and he gave it his best every single day.
2: You know, when he used to say, uh, uh, "More, more fun than any human being should be allowed to have." Yep, that's how he lived his life, and. You know, it wasn't without problems. And he overcame so many things, as you and David, his brother, know, and all that. But he he never even phoned it in when he was going through his various trials and tribulations, like who doesn't have those in life? And those trials and tribulations that he overcame, that were of his own doing, took enormous courage. And then so much of the things he had to overcome were externally imposed on him. And I know in the beginning now everybody knows we're in a psychotoxic, you know, social media world. But when people started coming after him, I think it surprised him and it hurt him in a way that he didn't understand because he was his pers- he was never mean. Now, I don't know how people ever thought he was mean. There was nothing ever mean about him. Did he have a mean bonus? I've never heard no. him to talk to no.
0: anybody. no, no. Nor was he racist, nor was he bigoted, nor was he all these other things that the left threw on him as a means of trying to hurt him and diminish his credibility.
2: You know, they came at him, what, what we're all accused of these days, you know, if you want sovereign borders, you're racist, if you like, you know, whatever it is, you're racist, no matter what, we, we know all that, but they did that to him first so in a way, he was like a punching bag in a in a learning vehicle or a preparation vehicle for now all of us that are called racist at any moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before that, he was a misogynist and and he was a He was a. A feminazi, that was my favorite thing because I I, lo- I left the feminists the whatever way. I'm 68, so we're kind of the same age. Well, I quit hanging with them when they said a, a man, a woman needs a man like a bike needs a fish. And then they turned in all the ID politics instead of really, <laughs> you know, equal opportunity and all that. And feminazi, you can't even use the word Nazi anymore. But when he said feminazi, <laughs> I just, to this day, I crack up because it was so perfect and it was such so portentous like they were so untouchable when he started doing that and it was and he really had the nail on the head if i may say this a lot of feminists that took a, took feminism in the wrong direction couldn't be not you know what i don't really even want to say this but he knew what the what the essence of that fanaticism was as and it's the same with all kinds of liberal fanaticism he understood that and it never tainted his soul. It just inspired him to get people to understand not only what they were doing, or what they were planning to do, but what to do about it and to keep doing it and to keep doing it and to keep fighting. And the other thing, besides never being mean to anybody, he I'm sure he had some depressed days, but you, he... How many times did people call in and they were crying or they're about to cry or they were so forlorn or they'd just given up, including people lost their jobs and stuff? And he would just talk them back from the brink. And it it just that had such a magnifying force for so many people that didn't call in. I can't tell you how many when I was on the road, everybody, everywhere I went, people asked this. And, you know, I must have coasted more than you that I remember but everybody always asked me about Rush but what, what was he really like and was he really that good and blah blah he really well I don't I'm, I'm missing him James I'm having I'm having a I'm having Rush rush through me he, we're channeling Rush right now and he's saying he misses everybody and he loves everybody and he's so grateful and he really was grateful remember when he used to say Um, No matter
0: what you've given me and no matter how much you think you've done for me is nothing in compared. He would tell his audience to what they did for him and how he was eternally grateful and gratified by what this audience had given to him and his family. And he really meant every single word of that, Mary.
2: I hope people realize how rare that is because he was in completely, not just rarefied atmosphere, but his own level, you know, he was his own level, and he always believed that. and it that's such a rare occurrence because I've seen too many, and James has my James has too, people who get famous and then start believing their own press. And I'm right. this is not you to the right or the left. It's like everybody who gets famous, Thinks they're untouchable, and they, in a way, they become isolated. I mean, you couldn't go out with Rush. I mean, we went to Patsy's once after his TV show, and you know, just couldn't go anywhere with him. So it's isolating. But he, he, he always stayed genuine and knowledgeable, and not angry. He was not. There's no anger that fueled his, like it does so much in in politics. The man was a happy man who was born to do what he was doing and in Catherine found the love of his life. And I think his life changed a lot when he moved to Florida, too. That was a lot. That was a big I don't want to say
0: when he could have a normal kind of a normal life. He could drive where he wanted to drive himself. He didn't need to have people around him for security all the time. He could have a somewhat normal life. Yes.
2: Of course, it wasn't a somewhat normal life because he was so surrounded himself with objects of interest and beauty. And although he wasn't in any way showy, but he wanted to share it. Remember, he'd have the spring fling every spring, obviously, and it'd be sports people. And one year I asked him to invite Vince Flynn, and they became great friends. And then he had the, he we had the, 24 people one year and he just shared everything he put everybody up you know when he got married he and Catherine he put everybody up at the at that hotel and they, we had hair day you know like he, he's just so generous with his uh success and and was the biggest sharer of anybody an entertainer um and, and, and trying to, and host, that's what I'm trying to think of, host, he always made everybody so happy, comfortable, entertained, and it was never a Bigfoot about it, you know. And I'll tell you another story like that. Right after, well, this was... When we were first won the White House in 2004, and I was then working with, uh, I I had two little babies. Our babies were little, but I wanted to work with Dick Cheney, so I went back in the White House. And the first thing Dick Cheney wanted to do, and this was the first party we planned at the vice president's residence, was to do it in honor of Rush because Cheney understood what happened in 1994. And he really loved Rush and respected Rush and in many ways got the same kind of incoming that Rush got, as Mm -hmm. as you know what I Mm mean. So then 9-11 happened, so we had to scrap everything because Cheney and I could not be in town the same time that Bush was, the president was, So, uh, for continuity of government. So when we finally had it, it was after he started losing his hearing, and that was very frustrating for him. He couldn't be in a crowd. It was too cacophonous for him.
0: Right. It actually was painful for him to act and be in the crowd and have his cochlear implant. It was painful.
2: And this was even before his cochlear thing. And he was just, he was trying to deal with, you know, like the whole, that was another thing. Who else? What is more important to speech than hearing? Okay. Communicating. He never lost his voice. It never became unrecognizable, but I do remember that night how, humble and moved he he was and but he couldn't really hear everything so i was sitting next to him trans not translating you know what i mean repeating everything right and i you talk he's talked many times on that well then at that time i don't know if he got a note or he talked about that party and how he wished his dad had been around to see it and he again another instance of so beloved and and so humbled and, and so in a he was so rarefied in, in, in a way that every so many people admired, but it never failed to surprise him. Never. He never took it for granted. He was always in awe. every time he came to the White House. The man has perpetual childlike awe and wonder over things historic in this country and people who are true public servants. And they just, he was, he he and Dick Cheney had a very lovely relationship. You know, everybody used to say, I think I knew Rush before anybody else in in my world. And they'd say, Mary's in charge of Rush. I said, I'm not in charge of him. And every can I get on Rush? Can you call Rush? I never, never, ever, ever called. He told me I could call for anybody. And the only one I just made a liaison with, and then he had his own relationship subsequent to the first time, was with Dick Cheney. And he... I think he enjoyed those shows. I think they enjoy each other.
0: Yes, they did. It was apparent on the air that they did, because you could almost feel the bond of camaraderie that they had.
1: Your perseverance here and your devotion to service, you and you and Rumsfeld both, I mean, you've given your lives to your country. You've taken all kinds of slings and arrows for it, and I just want you to know that um, I am at the top of the list among people who have a great sense of appreciation for what you've done.
4: Well, thanks a lot rush.
1: that means means the world coming from you well i i'm I'm flattered, but but you really it's it's an honor to have been able to know you and and get to know your family and and your friends, and we wish you the best, Mr. Vice President. Keep on
0: so last thing, Mary. His legacy. What is Russia's legacy?
1: You know,
2: it's I try to separate out myself as a friend and a mentee, if you will. Because he really was a guiding force for my personal life, in addition to what I just said as an inspiration. But literally, like, I didn't want to write a book about our experience. He goes, are you crazy? One percent of the people in the world have ever done what you've done. You owe it to them to, to, you owe it to the public to say what it's like. If you're going to tell the truth, I always tell the truth. So you talked me into to writing that book, and it turns out I'm a, not a bad person writer and I write all my stuff longhand. And as you said, I come prepared and I'm just, you know, the first born girl, child perfectionist. And he made me do that and he opened up all new horizons. So there's a personal legacy for me, but his public legacy is, uh, in addition to what James said, absolutely trans, talk about transformation. He was a transformational force in in the industry But he I think in history will show him to be the uh, this era's equivalent of like a Socrates. Do you know? I know. I know how I'm I'm the dumbest man in the world. Mm -hmm. That's how I know I'm smart because I know how much I don't know. And I am the smart and he was the smartest man that I ever knew. But he always was seeking and explaining Uh, virtue and the essence of a representative Republican freedom is virtue. It takes virtuous people and virtue requires and freedom requires constant vigilance. And he, I think in the span of history, it will, he will be understood by fair people, by fair historians, which there aren't very many as a pivotal transformational Socratic type person and if I, if you could flash forward, he was in, in the modern era, post-Enlightenment, he was more like Edmund Burke than Robespierre you know, like he – a good revolution, a controlled revolution. Yes. An incremental revolution, a, a constructive revolution. Uh, he just – I think his legacy will be that he guided us through a very – from the industrial age to the information age, very, very, very tricky – while maintaining the principles that got us to the position that we could continue to progress constructively and humanely and globally, if we, if we had taken his, and it wasn't his advice, I mean, it's the wisdom of the ages. And it was reality. It was reality. Mm. I just, I think his legacy will, will really be that, Honestly that transformational. And I think Catherine's too, you know, she really brought the kind of support and structure and love and faith and in in him that that he was always kind of not missing, but you know, like she really hit that sweet spot and man, i it that's what I wanna remember about him is that he found not just success, he found his true love. And his true place and his, his his true life. He lived his best life and that's that's a legacy in and of itself.
0: Mary, I cannot thank you enough. And I and, and you know what I also want to thank you, not just for me, not just for the time you did here, but you know, all of us that love Rush, we I thank you for being such a good, steady, wonderful friend to our Rush.
2: It was mutual. And I want to just say this about Rush. There's nobody that ever was in the presence of the man, ever, that I know of, liberals or conservatives or apolitical people, who didn't think he was the most gentlemanly, interesting, uh, humble, informative person they'd ever met. Uh, and, and that's true. The man was just he was just everything the likes of rush we're not going to see again and in, in, in forever and 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 i have to call you Bo. he you, he and you i don't think he could have done it without you without the whole team of course but you were like the his constant touchstone like you know everything he said he would take a look at you or how many times has he said we're, we're talking about this uh, you don't you don't think that you disagree with me. And it was it's like he it was t- never you never talked, which is so cool. Like you just we yeah. <laughs> like knew where you were. And he would describe me sitting behind good thing. And it just was that that was a beautiful relationship. And I think uh, a legacy, too, because it's something when some somebody can have for the length of time that he had the same team. You have to be a good person with loyalty, which goes both ways to have the kind of team that he had which you were the spearhead of. So we thank you both Snirly, James Golden and best, best, best for you. And please let me be a part of your life going forward.
0: Oh yes. You know, you are, you know, I love you so much, Mary, and thank you for everything. And thank you for doing this with us. And, you know, it's just, in a way, I mean, I'm still heartbroken, Mary. But, you know, just speaking with you, it brings, it smiles. It smiles.
2: You. You're so handsome. You're so cute and so articulate. Please Thank you. keep doing what you're doing. And I don't think anyone can maintain and further the, the Limbaugh legacy better than you can. both nerdly.
0: What an episode. Thank you, Mary Madeline and James Carville. On the next episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, Rush Limbaugh in print. The most widely read political newsletter in America was the Limbaugh Letter. Meet two of the people behind it. The editrix of the Limbaugh Letter, Diana Iloco, and the creative director, Denise May. That's coming up in our next episode. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone, is produced by Chris Kelly and Phil Tower, the best producers in America. Production assistant Mike Mamone and the executive producers Craig Kitchen and Julie Talbot, our program distributed worldwide by Premier Networks, found on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is James Golden. This is Bo Snerdly. This is James Golden. I'm honored to be your host for this and every single episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone. Thank you for being with us.